Welcome to the Fan Engagement Pod, a new conversation about fan engagement. Don't forget you can join the Fan Engagement Network at faninsights.co.uk forward slash network forward slash join for exclusive member services and benefits. This stuff is the teacher. 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 Welcome to episode 29 of the Fan Engagement Pod. We've been off air for over a month now, so it's good to be back. I hope you're well and keeping safe in these very difficult times. This episode is a chat with Nevo Mahoney, Secretary of the Irish Football Supporters Network and also one of the two representatives of fans on the FAI Council. That's the Football Association of Ireland, obviously. She is also a former acting Chief Executive of SD Europe and one of the people behind the saving of her own Cork City in 2010. Neve is steeped in the Irish and European supporters' trust and supporters' movement and someone I like and admire greatly. Her involvement in the Irish fans' movement has, in my view, been one of the reasons that the League of Ireland and position of fans within it, at least until Covid hit, has advanced as it has over recent years. We talk about being on the other side of the table, why dialogue matters and what it's like being on the FAI Council, part of the Irish football's governing body. Don't forget, we've got 28 other episodes, including the new Baz chat, where we take a particular look, particular look at activations, sponsorships and partnerships between brands and rights holders with a real expert in the field, Baz Schneider. A new episode is out on the last Thursday of every month, including this month in January. Listen via the usual channels and don't forget, you can join the Fan Engagement Network at faninsights.co.uk forward slash network forward slash join. Um, Hang on, let me take a sip. Right, yeah, Neve. So look, we've um, we've we've known each other for quite some time. Um, your you you what you your sort of presence in football, should we call it that? Um, began through similar routes to mine. Um, you know, with your club needing rescuing, Cork City um, down the south of Ireland. Um, and you've kind of gone this full full journey because you've also. You've also uh, been involved in national organisation in Ireland, um, the, the Irish Football Sports Network. You've also worked um, for a period for SD Europe. You have um, worked, uh, and, and now you sit on, on the FAI Council, um, one of the elements of the governing body of, of Irish football. And um, that's quite a, you know, a range of, uh, um, it's the whole range, really. So you've, You've done all of those, you know, you've been there helping to run a club, oversee a club. You've been an activist. You've gone in at governing body level. You've seen everything here. What's the st- <laughs> I mean, in Ireland, um, uh, and in, in Ireland in particular, what's the state of fan engagement, the place of fans in, in, the, in the game, in all the areas that you've experienced? How, what's their role? Yeah, it, it's a really good question. And actually, when you kind of outline the progress and stuff over the years, it would be great to think that was a plan. But like most people, I think that fall into being active with their football club initially or a trust initially, as it was with us in Cork. It's, um, it, it's more a case that you just want to see something different. You want to see change and that you're willing to be part of that. And I think that's the thing that 
pulls all of those experiences together. So at Cork City, it was the trust was set up actually with quite a long term view. It was never about thinking our club was in trouble, more about ensuring that there would be stability in the long term. Um, very quickly, it turned out that we had an opportunity to take control. It was not something we wanted. And a couple of us are actually in the middle of, of documenting um, the story of Forrest at the moment. And um, it kind of, it, it's good to remember that, 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 you know, there was no stage where in the early days where we were like, oh, are we going to get it to take over the club? We always just wanted a strong club and felt really strongly that we needed to be active in order to see that. And you know, the National Association Irish Supporters Network grew out of that as well. It was a need to share experiences, to talk to people, to encourage people, and sometimes very simply to let people know that what they're thinking wasn't crazy, that supporters are really important and that they do deserve um, an important role in football. And equally, the, um, the council seats for supporters representatives came about by three supporter groups submitting documents to a governance reform process and then being acknowledged out of that as stakeholders in the game so you know I suppose I, I it's not been a plan I fell into it and um, absolutely loved a lot of it and also saw you know had some very difficult times in that in that when you're when you're sitting in a, in a room and um, you know the supporters in that room have just heard that their football club is not going to survive there's also very difficult emotional elements um, involved in that and we've seen many cases where things don't work out either but like what's interesting about Ireland and what I used to always get asked about when I went abroad is why are Irish supporters so prominent in their football clubs and I suppose that the reasons are twofold we do not have these multi-billionaires coming in to try and make a profit out of Irish football because there's not a lot of money in the game we don't have a big tv um company contract and we don't have massive sponsors pouring money into the game and the second reason is that in Irish sport it's just more natural to be involved in your club. So we have a fantastic history of, you know, involvement and volunteerism in Irish sport. And it does mean that supporters are usually very involved in their football clubs. Luckily in the top tier um, in the Premier Division, half of the clubs, you have an opportunity to become a shareholder. So we have a couple of cooperative clubs and then we have a couple of member run clubs um, and we have the same in the first division. Most, most recently last season, Cove Ramblers decided to take the step and become a cooperative. And, uh, you know, out of that, they see renewed community engagement and interest from the community. So um, it is a very natural thing in Ireland. And then when we moved to the European stage and getting involved with organisations such as SD Europe and also um, Football Supporters Europe, it's it's amazing then to see that this is an international movement and that in a way you're not mad and that this is important and that there's a lot of collective experience and also encouragement and motivation out there so um i suppose one of the things that um uh, one of the things that are is a fairly common theme in um, when it comes to activists, and it's a word that scares people, activists, because it, it brings visions of placards and, and that kind of thing. But, you know, it's you and me. It's, uh, it's any, it could be anyone. It could be the people in the director's box if things had turned out differently. Um, how, how, um, uh, how important is it 
to to have those people or to recognize that um that 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 fun engagement means dealing with um organized groups and that those groups can play um you know it varies on obviously the size of the club but that that those groups and those people can can play a role uh in the way the club operates at any level um you know are those are those particularly important in ireland for example um yeah it's it's <clears throat> it's one of the things that annoys me a little bit about the term fan engagement because i often see it mixed up with consumer marketing for want of a better phrase and that is you've got a collective bunch of people and how do we make money out of it how do we monetize it and you see that type of language used quite a bit and that kind of collective discussion around supporters is back currently in a way that is more negative today than it has been in a long time and by that i mean it's the dialogue of the sort of things that we're hearing is you know in the premier league we have to have neutral venues because supporters are going to turn up on mass and we can't tell them what to do and we don't know how they're going to behave and we've seen that a little bit in ireland too um, and i saw something that really afraid or a quote that really resonated with me during the week from the somebody in the tottenham hotspur supporters trust and he said fans are still being talked about instead of talked with and for me the fundamental of the fundamentals of actually improving relations with supporters um, is about dialogue and it is not it is about having that discussion and not being afraid of having that discussion and like a discussion that you'll have anywhere else in life you need to listen and be open and take on board that does not mean that everybody gets what they want out of the process but it is a communications process and it is a dialogue and it's about building trust and when you do that properly when you have proper dialogue when you have openness and transparency and a willingness to compromise and a willingness to reach consensus that so when you see the real magic happen and we have we do have clubs here who have um i suppose bohemians are one that we hear about quite a bit at the moment where they have been through a really difficult time and it was actually the strength of the members and that openness and discussion and collective effort that really got the club through what it was going through um, almost losing itself and closing down and its home ground to where they are now which is thriving because they found a real sense of self mm. and a club cannot find a real sense of self unless it has those discussions and you know it's not a quick process and it's not an easy process and it's not a set process in the sense of we're going to do this for five months and then we'll have all the answers and we never have to do it again it's an ongoing process but the flip side and i suppose what we really hope is starting to come through now in ireland is that people are getting a sense of, of of why it's important to have supporters in the discussions and to have their insight and their expertise and their experience in those discussions as well um it's an interesting one actually this the the <clears throat> the i think the word authenticity gets thrown around a lot. I've, I've, I struggle using it. <laughs> you have to sometimes, but actually, yeah, the, the, so. yeah. I mean, but I was talking to um, someone the other day who's who's run several guy called Damien Irving, um, uh, and he's he's been involved in running several um, football clubs. Came over from Australia originally. He'd run 
he'd run a club over a rugby league club over in Australia. And he used the word sincerity um, when I said I really struggle with this word um, authenticity because it's been so abused, I think, by people who use it as a sort of liquor paint on a crumbling structure, as it were. And it is sincerity, isn't it? I suppose it's a good one because it's are people doing this for the right reasons? And um, and and if if people can see you are, then they respond. And I think that's where people, you know, who we call activists, who really are just people who care about their football clubs and who have, you know, on many occasions saved them. Um, that's kind of what they want. And then when I suppose um, if you're looking for an example in Irish football, at least of where sincerity has paid uh, huge dividends is somewhere like Bowes, where, you know, they, they've gone from being um, within days of collapse when I, when I got involved um, over there and, 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 um, uh, and to the point they're at now. And part of the reason that they've done that um, is, uh, or, or, or a large part of the way that they speak as a club um, and Dan, Daniel Lambert will say that, who's obviously the director of, I think he's director of communications, isn't he? I have interviewed him for the podcast. Um, is, it, is it sincerity? They're sincere about what they believe and about what they do and about what they are. And that's, that's a really big, important thing. And there are some clubs that do that in, in, English, in English football really well. And Norwich often get pointed to as one of those. I think, actually, when I'm sort of trying to think of, um, you know, comparing... Um, trying to find examples in English football of, of what I see, some of the great stuff I see going on in Irish football. I look at someone like Accrington, <clears throat> Accrington Stanley, you know, where Andy Holt, though, though it's, you know, it's a privately owned football club, but he's, he's sincere about what he does. And there might be some things he says that not everyone likes about the broader governance issues and things like that, but you cannot doubt his sincerity. Um, and um, and that's, that's a really important value, isn't it, when you're running a football club? Yeah, and I, you know, I suppose we 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 give ourselves a really hard time in the Premier or in the Premier Division in the League of Ireland, because we sit next to the Premier League, and you know it's the richest league in the world. And I, I like I would admit I'd, I'd watch the occasional game. I'm not hugely interested because I find it a really commercial, you know, um, and particularly um, the coverage from from the English media. Media. it's almost propaganda at this stage but that's not to say there isn't some good games and stuff involved and we, like in the league of ireland we give ourselves a hard time because we compare all of this what we have going on with with probably the most commercial football product out there maybe as opposed to la liga and la liga is kind of i suppose very different and then for years i suppose it was an attitude amongst league of ireland supporters of why won't they come instead of standing up and being proud of what we have with which is and I know I was just laughing at the word but it is a really genuine experience it's authentic and in League of Ireland football we're massively fortunate that we don't generally have um, crowd issues um, our stadiums can be better absolutely but there is a real buzz around games you can find yourself walking um, down the street and seeing a player in fact I'm pretty sure I saw a Shamrock Rovers player in our local shop the other day uh, and I remember as a smallie like watch seeing the assistant manager of Cork City walking down the street in Cork years ago and getting so excited because it's football on your doorstep and when you connect in with that when you go to a game at Turner's Cross which is my club of Cork City 
you cannot walk in into the ground you can't even get near the ground without knowing someone or you know if you're wearing cork city gear league of ireland merchandise anywhere in the world you will get like a nod and a wink because it's like we're we're in something together and we have we have a secret that no one else knows and it is that we have a really good league on our doorstep there's some amazing statistics that show that we are the third youngest league in the world and then the third best league in the world for for bringing through young players and that's before you even start talking about the experiences of going to see some of these football clubs so Finn Harps are an amazing football club um, up in the northwest um, it's one of my favorite away trips because the welcome that you get is incredible in Bally Buffet people are so nice and it's usually raining or cold but, uh, like and and you know the, it's 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 about the welcome you get you can be in the pubs you can get soup and it's just such a really good welcome at Finn Harps but you could say the same about going to Sligo Rovers it's a real football town you could say the same about going to Galway United and they've really kind of restarted what they're doing and took in a taking a real fresh look at who do we want to be um, and I think and I would hope that Cork City will always offer a really good football experience as well because the people that go to those games love what they have right on their doorstep and they don't need to be in an airport on Saturday morning flying over to the UK um, and I think that's where we have a role in terms of um, improving ourselves because in a way it's not about the model of the club you can be you know you can have a collective or ownership or membership element and you cannot be talking to supporters properly um, and we even see it now with the behind closed doors or game discussion um, supporters have been the voice missing from that debate um, and we've done some research just in the last week that shows supporters are really concerned about it they're concerned about their club health they're concerned about people's health but they're also concerned about their role in the future and why they're not being actively part of these discussions and planning effort and that's kind of coming back to the heart of if you want fan engagement genuine engagement is about having those discussions and making sure you have all the right stakeholders in the room um, listening to people and then trying to reach the right decision for everybody and um Tell me um, <clears throat> um, how, uh, as, a, as, an, as an activist and someone who got, who got involved, um, and as you said, you got involved because you cared about your football club. It wasn't um, because you wanted to run it um, at the time. Um, pre presuming you had the same experiences, you know, other activists have, have had in the past when they tried to um, get the club to be open on an issue. Um, and and they found it difficult. Is it something? Um, um, is it is it a, you know how, how does it how does it feel to just to, to sort of be told that um, um, that actually look we're not really interested in talking to you. What what does that what goes through your mind as a as a group of people when you're told well no you you don't in that sense we don't really want to listen to you. Or, 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 you know, is, what's, what's your re reaction to that? What's the response amongst activists when, when you're told that? Yeah, I think, I think the best example of that is, is actually, it is a Cork City um, an example. And it is back to the club was owned by an investment fund for a period of time. So we had a really good owner in the sense of he had run businesses. He was a local person. He was involved in local football, Brian Lennox. And he... 
he was the reason the trust started because we actually said, well, who comes after Brian Lennox? So it was a kind of, a, it was a positive. An investment fund came in after that, Arcadia, and purchased the football club. And within months, within, I think it was 12, 18 months, the timelines now escaped me a little bit, um, we were in, in uh, examinership uh, or administration, um, as you'd refer to it in the UK. <clears throat> and then another private individual came in and was given the opportunity to run the football club. Because again, at that stage, we were not thinking about running or owning a football club. And though the initial efforts there were, were, were intent on working together, it was very clear that that private individual wanted to run the club his own way. And that was the way it was going to be done. So the trust was essentially pushed aside. And the trust and the board that was there at the time um, spent a lot of time discussing how, how do you get involved in the discussion when you're on the outside. Um, and, you know, it was eventually came down to things like protesting, missing kickoff and having a 10 minute protest not going into the ground. But the greatest moment of um, that changed a lot was actually a moment of inaction. And that was, um, there was due to be a television game against Bohemians of all people at Turner's Cross. And the trust announced that um, its members were going to go onto the pitch and protest against the owner of the football club um, during this television broadcast, which would force the discussion about how supporters had been left on the side, the way that the club was run. It would air all of the grievances that they had, I suppose. So the FAI offered to meet with the trust and discuss their issues. And there was a, a discussion that was going on right up until the hours before kickoff. And the moment of inaction came when the trust board at the time actually asked supporters, look, we've met with the FAI, we, we have aired our grievances, we think they have taken everything on board, we're not going to protest, we're going to stay off the pitch. And because supporters did not do that, it, it made it very clear that the trust was actually, for want of a better uh, phrase, they were influenced, they were in charge, that they had the supporters captured. Um, so when you have an opportunity like that, when you're on the outside and you're not being let into the discussion, what whoever's keeping you outside of that discussion still cannot control your behaviours and what you do. So that's the moment you have to. You have to become an activist. And I think today in 2020, there's lots of reasons and there's, you know, you social media and you can go on a forum and you can write letters to a newspaper and you can give out about things that you're not happy with. But the much tougher decision is to organize, it's to get active, it's to join, um, whether it's a civil, civil liberties organization or a trade union or a supporters trust. And it is to take that action and it is to sacrifice time uh, and resources in terms of skills, not just money and take action. And that's probably something we're seeing less and less these days. But if there is a good thing to come out of COVID-19, perhaps it's just reminding everybody that we all have a role to play in society and that we control our own behavior at every single time. So we can be respectful, but we can challenge what's going on. Well, I mean, let's be honest, in, in a lot of cases in football, um, you know, for me at least, in my experience, um, activism is often wasted energy. It's it's energy that could be put towards cooperating with the club on an issue. You know, for example, one of the things I talk about and we talked about on Fan Insights or that we've 
we try to explain through the fund engagement index is um uh, and through the fund engagement hub is the is 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 cooperating in a way that actually is good self-interest from a football club so if you've got an issue over let's say for example support liaison officer um uh, and trying to provide a role that works that's legitimate with with the fans that works for the club um buddying up with a with a good fan organization with a supporters trust or an independent group of some description that's a really good use of the relationship and it also and it means that that energy isn't if you like wasted on activism and on protest and is actually put towards something positive and that i think that's the thing that uh, you know i think perhaps a lot of people um because it's it's not easy to 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 solve all these problems if you're a football club working week to week match to match you know you've got many other things to think about and um the leap of imagination perhaps sometimes isn't the space for that isn't there but when you explain it to people that you could you could work with these people who have this passion so much so that they will potentially not go into a match to make a point about the lack of dialogue uh, and the lack of the club listening to them instead of that divert that into as I say, establishing a support liaison officer role that's credible with the fan base. Um, so, you know, and then you only really have to look in Irish football to the number of clubs that have been saved by their fans. And then also to not just that, but say to a Bose, for example, where, you know, it's, 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 the, it's, that, it's that, act, that, that, that energy has been put into coming up with some of the most engaging communications i've seen from any club anywhere um so it is it, it activism is 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 one thing but in so many cases it's it's wasted energy don't you agree in terms of fan engagement it could be put to such great use yeah a very a very wise man named kevin rye once <laughs> told me like people love doing something for their football club and they love saying that they do something for their football club um, and it's a very simple piece of advice. So if you can harness, as a football club, if you can harness people's passion and interest and skill set in a way that kind of kind of falls in line with what you want to do as a club, well then why you'd be mad not to take up that resource. And that that's the way I see it. So, you know, if if you can incorporate people who have the club's best interests at heart. Maybe you need to compromise a little bit and have dialogue. And <clears throat> it was really funny. I remember talking to a group, um, a supporters group. And actually, no, it wasn't. It was a supporters group who took control of their club from, from Eastern Europe. And I remember having the conversation of, well, how do you stop people asking stupid questions at meetings and AGMs and stuff? And I was like, well, that's the democracy. And that's why the, the root of having proper dialogue and having a proper structured dialogue framework and having rules and regulations and committee positions and mission statements and objectives written down it's much much harder than having one person in charge making all the decisions but the difference is if you go to the trouble of having those structures in place it's it's you know the supporters trust for want of a, a better model well then you will end up with something that's far more collaborative and it's much much stronger because it's based on a much wider foundation um, and you know at Cork City we have seen the benefit of taking that community because that community approach because 
we are an NGO. So when people look at the Premier League, and particularly in Ireland, because there's different sports that are important, we also have, we have rugby and, and Gaelic games, so Gaelic football and hurling. And anyone that's a football fan <clears throat> is usually beat over the head by, oh, look at the players' wages. And you're kind of looking at the likes of Ronaldo and Messi and thinking they're still only a handful of the people. You know, if you look at all of the players in the world, the really, really high earners are, are still only a small percentage of them. Um, without football, you can't have football without players, same as you can't have football without supporters. Um, and where you end up then is, is actually looking at when you present the football club as an NGO, as something that's open to its community, as, some, as, as an entity that not only wants to say it's involved with clubs and social groups, that is involved with other football clubs and social groups that actually walks the walk. Well, that's a very, very different proposition to present to the world. Um, but it's, it is a hard one. You know, I, I've seen, we've seen a lot of times, and you mentioned it, like supporters have saved many, many different iterations of every football club. And I would think there's probably not been an Irish football club that didn't have financial issues at some point. And it is the supporters that always bail them out, um, which is why we do have an affiliation with our clubs. Um, and that is just, it's the root of it. You know, it's, it's, if you don't have that connection and you don't put in that hard work, um, we, we lost, sadly, in Forrest, one of our key founding members in the last year or so. And Pat would always say, if you don't have a trust, you know, prepare to fail. It's that whole thing of if you're talking about the need for a trust, it's already too late. You have to have the trust or whatever supporters element or whatever group it is set up well in advance so that when something comes along that's unexpected, it's about responding to it and not setting up something fresh in a crisis um, and it's a piece of advice that has always stuck with me because I think every football club should have an active supporters group and you know it should be there to, to proactively support the club but also challenge the club when it's getting off track. And tell me um, how's it been in in terms of the FAI and relating taking fan engagement up to if you see it in that sort of hierarchical way or the game in that hierarchical way going up to the sort of level of governing body um you know and working working with uh, with others in the game at, at that level what does what does fun engagement look like when you're dealing with a governing body yeah that's been a, i suppose new territory really for ireland and i think it was it was best described as we've had an opportunity for a reset in national association and supporter relations because for many different reasons, both on the League of Ireland side, so the domestic football side, and then also on the international supporter side. Um, it was fair to say that in recent years, the relationship was not only poor, but probably non-existent. And, you know, just, I suppose, well, you know, a fundamental misunderstanding of what supporters and a collective supporters is. So for a lot of people, it's about going to match night, having a ticket, having a few beers and going home, and then they'll look at the next fixture in the calendar. But there are groups that it's about more than that. So you would have, um, you'd have CRISC, for instance, the Confederation of Republic of Ireland, 
Ireland supporter clubs and they organise uh, tournaments amongst their clubs. They would organise award dinners. Um, they would get together and have a social element to what they do. And then you would have independent supporters falling under YWIG mandate. And they were more interested in seeing widespread reforms across the game, but also a trans ticketing policy. They would organise fan tournaments as in when they travel to away games, they'd organise tournaments with our games with the opposing fans. And then you had the League of Ireland supporters, many of us who are active in a supporters group at our clubs and then saw the need to do something on a national level. But when we walked into um, the kind of council environment and those meetings initially, the first thing we were met with was, well, we're all supporters. So we had to explain the concept of the difference between an individual supporter going on match night, having their couple of drinks and a good time and then going home with the organised supporter group who then has a committee meeting and does charity work or does collective or has an online shop or is pushing and giving peer support and wanting community ownership across more clubs in the League of Ireland and explaining that it, it means educating people. It means um, taking the time to talk to stakeholders and explain the reason that you're, with, you're in that room with them and what you can bring. Um, and one of the things I always talk about anytime I was traveling or giving case support, if, if you have a bunch of supporters, they all wear their colors on match night, but when away from match night, you take away the colors they're extremely skilled and experienced people, same as everybody else. So one of, one of the other terms that really annoys me that we hear a lot over the years is, oh, you're not a football person. And you're going, why is a supporter not a football person? Because if I'm, if I'm a millionaire, if I win the millionaire, if I, if I become a billionaire in the morning and I buy a football club, just because I own a football club and have managed to um, somehow find myself with the finances to have a football club, that does not make me a football person either. And, you know, I always talk about the fact that supporters are the most ambitious owners that you have because they want everything for their football club. They want to be the best at everything. The, you know, the nicest home ground, the best academy, the nicest shirts. It's supporters really that have, have unlimited ambition for their football club. And yet they're not considered to be football people on the basis that we're not really sure what defines that rule, to be honest. It just... Uh, it um, rules people out, in and out, as, as people see fit. So it's, it's been a challenging, I think, uh, 12 months. What I would say, though, is that it is a chance for us to definitely progress and look at the supporter experience in Ireland generally. And that's not just national team, but also League of Ireland. I think the groups have realised we have more in common than we ever thought we had. And I would think it's fair to say that the... Um, the FAI board that's in place now and also the executive team that's in place now is giving us plenty of time to talk about what we really want to do. So now it's about, I suppose, walking the walk because we've definitely talked the talk so far.